Take your Bibles and let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Last week in the first message of the series, I shared a few reasons why I'm taking uh, six Sundays to go through this. Uh, I could boil those down to basically two reasons. The first reason is we frequently are asked and said and stated to us, there are so many good churches in this area. Why do you have Oral Bible Church then? And that leads to then, uh, so it's answering that question, but it also leads to the second reason for this series, that by going through this, you will be able to answer that question yourself. And by answering that question, you're going to be able to teach others. Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked, you could say. And you're not going to say, let me give you my pastor's number so you can call him and you can get answers to that. Uh, but you can give a, some reasons why. We've looked at two key truths so far. If you're following along on your handout there, two key truths. The first one, number one, is that Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. The church is his body. Where every believer in Christ, doesn't matter Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter their social position, how much money they have or don't have, doesn't matter what they look like, they are in Christ's body and they have equal standing. A second key truth we looked at last Sunday afternoon, number two, Christ's law for church order is the New Testament, NT, you could abbreviate that. It is the New Testament, NT, not the Old Testament, we looked at Ephesians 3, how this truth was about the church was not revealed in the Old Testament. It's given in the New Testament. And then in Romans 7 and 8 there, Romans 7 talks about how uh, as Christians, the law, we are dead to the law. We have been married to another, Jesus Christ, and our law is not the Mosaic law found in the Old Testament. We're not under that jurisdiction Rather, we are under Christ's law. We are under the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ that he details uh, in the New Testament. And so churches must properly order themselves 
according to the New Testament, the scripture that Jesus gives there. I also made clear, this doesn't mean that we just kind of only use the New Testament. We never look at the Old Testament. Far from it. Uh, All those, what is it, 39 books are essential. They are all inspired. They are all profitable for instruction and teaching and, and, and reproof. To, to be made the man of God, uh, women of God. But you will not find a shred of truth about the church as the church or how a church should be ordered because that wasn't its purpose. Um, so that's an important thing to keep in mind. The key areas that we're going to look at the next few weeks today and the, the four weeks to follow in answering this question of what, what is Oral Bible Church, today we're going to look at the gospel During the afternoon service today, we'll look at, well, what is the church exactly? Next week, uh, since we'll uh, have the Lord's Supper, we'll take those services to look at the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Then in weeks that are coming up, we'll look at, well, what is the mission of the church? Why are we here? What does Jesus want the church to be doing? How is the church to be governed? Is there somebody outside the church? How is the church to be governed? Who are the officers of the church? Uh, What is the church's worship to be like? Um, Does the church have any uh, connection with anything outside itself? Um, And then the last two things are are key things I want to zero in on because of the day and age we live in. Uh, the, the, the The next one specifically, what is the Holy Spirit's work? In this day and age, Uh, are miraculous gifts still present or aren't they? That's the main thing that I'll draw attention to. And then the last one, I'll give an overview of of church history. How did all these denominations start? Uh, And we'll walk through that. So today's message, if you consider every religious group in our area, every Christian religious group, in our area. They basically say that a church is made up of those who believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what group you look at, from Baptist to Lutheran to Presbyterian to Roman Catholic to Mormon to Jehovah's Witness to Christian scientists, it doesn't matter what Christian group. They, they will answer, what, is a, what makes up a, a church? They will say, somebody who believes in Jesus Christ. Are there some differences as to what they mean and believe by believe in Jesus Christ? There are some significant differences, some big differences. So often answering the question, why Oral Bible Church? Often um, when churches do this, they focus on what are the denominational differences between our church and other churches? Uh, Bible-believing churches. And I'm going to do that. But we have to begin first and foremost with that part of being Christian. What makes a Christian a Christian? Give me an example. Throughout our country, there are hundreds, if not thousands of places uh, that provide services for women's health. Sounds fairly neutral, doesn't it? But what goes on at many of most of those places for women's health? What goes on there 
is the murder of infants in the mother's womb. Abortion. And that is going on in the name of what? Women's health. The murder of a human being. How in the world could that happen? That's the result of sin. That's the result of sin in human beings' thinking. Where people continue going away from the Lord and the Lord lets them go. He judges them in their sin and lets them go that way. And it's a frightening thing. And folks, if that can happen with moms and their babies, do you think that can happen in places that call themselves a Christian church? Where they say this and really it's something completely opposite? It sure can. We need to begin, number one, with who is God? If we're considering what is the gospel, what is the Christian part, who is God? And for each of these points, I'm going to give a a brief survey of different churches in our area. I'm not going to name specific churches. I'll name their brand, if their denomination, if you will, okay? Most Christian churches have, in our area, most Christian churches have a right understanding of who God is. Now remember, this is general, okay? I'm not getting into nitty-gritty detailed stuff. Most Christian churches in our area have a right understanding that God is triune. He's one God and eternally existing in three persons. Roman Catholics do, Lutherans do, and so on. They also have a right understanding of God's attributes, his characteristics. He's holy. He's righteous. He knows all things. He's present in every place at the same time. His omnipresence. He's infinite. Some Christian churches, quote unquote, where these would be what are called liberal Protestants. So a liberal Protestant would say that the Bible has errors in man's mind, must be uh, triumphant and preeminent. Some liberal Protestants say that God, he could be male, he could be female. And they have hymns accordingly that speak of Mother God in the Christian standpoint. Oneness Pentecostals, and there's a Oneness Pentecostal church about uh, seven or eight miles from here. A Oneness Pentecostal, they hold to an old uh, form of uh, heresy called modalism, M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M. Don't worry about that, okay? What's the basic idea of modalism? Modalism says this, God first appeared presented himself as the father. Then he left that kind of uh, garb, dress, and presented himself as Jesus, as the son. Now he presents himself as the Holy Spirit. But he does not, they say. They are very clear. He is not one God existing in three persons. He is only one God existing in one person. He kind of shifts uh, uh, shapeshifts, okay? Did I get that right? You know what I mean there. What about Mormons? What do they believe about God? I'm going to quote from their statement. They say this about God. There are three separate persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we hear that and think, hey, they believe the same as we do. Ah, wait, I didn't stop reading. They say this. From Latter-day Revelation. Pause. Mormons view the Bible as God's word, but they also add several other books to that. And that's what they're referring to as 
Latter-day Revelation. From Latter-day Revelation, listen to this, we learn that the Father and the Son have tangible bodies of flesh and bone, and that the Holy Ghost is a personage of spirit without flesh and bone. Now, does the Son, Jesus Christ, does he have flesh and bone? Sure does. Has he always had flesh and bone? No, he doesn't. He has always eternally existed as the Son. What about the Father? No, he is pure spirit. The Son is pure spirit. The Spirit is pure spirit. The Son took on flesh and added himself a human nature. But Mormons say that the Father and the Son have always had bodies. And there's a lot more that they say about God that I'm not going to get into. What about Jehovah's Witnesses in our area? Jehovah's Witnesses believe in one God, and Jesus is not God, and the Holy Spirit is not a person, but a force. And yet, all these different groups, they all say that a church is made up of those who believe in Jesus Christ. You need to define your terms, don't you? We need to understand what is meant by Jesus and, and God in that. So let's consider number two, some scripture truth. Some scripture truth. And this is, again, a survey, okay? It's a really quick thumbnail. I'd refer you to the little booklet that we have on the back table, the Summary of Christian Faith, Summary of Christian Faith and Practice. Uh, questions 21 to 43, where we go into detail on these. First, God is triune. That's your first blank there. He is triune. T-R-I-U-N-E. What this means is the one God, and there is only one God, but he perfectly and eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each is fully God, but it's not three gods. It's three persons and one God. And you might say, I can't make sense of that. It can't mean that. The Bible teaches that. God says that about himself, and we must believe that. A second thing about God, God is holy. God is holy. This means he is separate in his character from everything. And he is separate in his character from what's impure. He is completely separate. He is holy. Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. In 1 Peter 1, we must be holy as God is holy. Number three, God is righteous. God is righteous. His righteousness, he loves his righteousness. He is righteous. And his righteousness means everything about God, what he thinks, what he feels, what he does, what he says. Everything about God, it lines perfectly up with his holy character. So his thoughts are holy. His speech is holy. His actions are holy, etc. Number four, God is truth. God is truth. Everything that God does and says, it conforms to his character. How can you know if something's true? Well, yeah, look it up on the internet. You ask Google, right? No, you don't search online. The source, the only source for truth is found in God and his word and what he tells us there. 
Last, number five, God is love. God is love. And what's meant by his love is he gives of himself voluntarily. He gives of himself unselfishly. He gives of himself righteously for the good of others. I list four attributes here. Holy, righteous, truth, and love. There are many, many more. I am selected these as kind of representing key attributes of God. But we need to grasp that if someone's understanding of God, if it isn't according to Scripture, and let's push pause. What is this Scripture? What is this book? Whose word is this? This is God's word. This is God saying who he is. And if someone says, I don't believe that, it can't mean that, it must mean something else, who are they arguing with? They're arguing with God. It'd be like if someone said, you know, I've heard about you, but I don't really think that what I've heard is right. I've heard that you're six foot two and you have white hair. I'm describing myself here. Uh, You have... A certain number of grandchildren and a beautiful wife. And I don't believe that at all. I think you're four foot eight. And I think that you've got orange hair. And I think that you weigh 600 pounds. And you have an ugly wife. Them's fighting words right there, isn't it? Um, and I say to him, well, let me tell you, in the flesh, this is who I am. I just don't believe it. Is the problem with me? The problem's with the person who doesn't believe it then, isn't it? If somebody says, I can't believe that about God, is the problem with the Bible? Is the problem with Scripture? No, the problem is with that individual. Number two, what is humanity's position and condition before this God? Position and condition. Again, I'll do a little survey here. Uh, Some... Christian churches in our area, and I put Christian in quotes, they have a right understanding of humanity. They say humanity is created. They didn't evolve. Mankind is made in God's image. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, there's two basic aspects to that. He made us in his image means we are righteous and we are rational. Those are the two R's. You know, we have the three hours of education, reading, writing, arithmetic. The two basic characteristics of being made in God's image is we are righteous and rational. This is what separates human beings from the animal world. You might love your hamster. And you might say, my hamster loves me. You. You might say, oh, my hamster's sad. And my hamster's communicating with me. But friends, you're taking human thought and putting it on your hamster. It's instinct. You can train an instinct animal to do something, but that doesn't mean that they're going to think of it of themselves and they don't have the sense of right and wrong. There's also Christian churches in our area that recognize rightly humanity is fallen, lost, and sinful. And you know there's a but coming, don't you? 
But there's some other, quote-unquote, Christian churches who will say wrong things and believe wrong things about mankind. Some say that man did evolve. Roman Catholicism believes that. Liberal Protestantism. There's certain types of evangelical churches that say that God created and he used evolution as his process. Several say, liberal Protestants in particular, they say man has a man isn't depraved, man isn't sinful. He has a spark of divinity in him. He's inherently good. Every human being that's born is good. The problem is in the end of, is not the individual. The problem is their environment. That's the reason, folks. I had the privilege of being with three of my granddaughters this past week, ages two. One and newborn. Which one do you think was the most perfect of them? The most well-behaved? The most newborn one? Those two little ones, I got to spend the morning with, the first hour of the day. Before Andy went to work, uh, I was up, and so I had my two little granddaughters on my lap. And I got to be with them throughout the day. And you know, we didn't have to teach them to disobey. We didn't have to teach them to mouth off. We didn't have to teach them to lie. It's because we're born with a sin nature. And before you think, no, not your grandchildren, Pastor. Let me tell you, yeah, my grandchildren, because who's their grandpa? Where did they get their sin nature from? Well, technically from their dad, but where did he get it? He got it for me, okay? He got it for me. It's inevitable. What's the scripture truth about humanity's position and condition before God? Several things here. The first, people fail to conform to God's holy character. They fail to conform to God's holy character. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. God made mankind in his image, rational and righteous, we're kind of like uh, scaled-down representations of God. And he made us to reflect his perfections in our life, but sin causes us to fail to measure up. Second, people disobey God's holy will. We disobey God's holy will. 1 John 3, 4 Talks about how sin is transgression of God's law. Third, sin entirely, entirely corrupts, entirely corrupts and enslaves man's enslaves man, his mind, his will, and his emotions. And we read Ephesians 2, so let's look at this. Ephesians 2. He made, and you he made alive, and speaking of the Ephesians before they were born again. And say, you were dead in trespasses and sins. This is their standing before God. In which you once walked. This is their actions and how they live their life. According to the course of the world. And then verse 3. Among whom we also conducted ourselves. There's the actions again. In the lusts of our flesh. That's your sin nature. These are wrong affections. Wrong feelings. Look, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the What's the next word? Mind. We were by nature children of wrath. Sin entirely corrupts 
and enslaves man. The next truth, sinners stand. Sinners stand before a holy God. A holy and righteous God is guilty and condemned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you can look at the the previous 10 verses there in Romans 3. Uh, There is none righteous, no, not one. So a sinner stands before God, the holy judge, and what is his verdict every time? Guilty, 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 and condemned then. Next one, sinner's relationship. Sinner's relationship with a holy and righteous God is a state of hostility. We are enemies, as unbelievers, enemies with God. We want nothing to do with God. Uh, We don't want to obey God. Well, what about those who don't believe Christian doctrine, but they have some sort of godness about them? Well, you can, I'm going to give a little warning here. I made lunch in a crock pot for people today. I've given warning about that. And you know my cooking abilities, right? I bought it at Walmart last night. I cooked, baked it in the oven, and I threw it in the crock pot. So I think you're safe. However, did I sprinkle any poison on it? Now nobody's going to eat it. Aren't I crafty, crafty fellow that I am? Who's going to get all that lasagna now? Because I poisoned your thinking about that. I didn't. But just sprinkling something on it, if I really made a bad dish, which isn't hard for me to do, if I really made something bad and nasty tasting, if I sprinkle a little salt on it, is that going to make it better? No, I don't think so. Somebody could be really bad and do a lot of bad stuff, but if they sprinkle a little God talk, does that make it okay? Does that make everything all right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Next truth. Sinners are slaves of sin. They are slaves of sin. We looked at that at the very beginning of our service today in Romans 6. Last, sinners are under Satan's power and direction. They are under Satan's power and direction. We read that in Ephesians 2, verses 2 to 4. If someone's understanding of humanity's condition before God is wrong, they are not going to see that they have a problem. They are not going to seek a solution. I'll give you an illustration. You learn of a young lady who starts having some health problems. She starts losing weight. And I know you might think that that's not that bad, but I mean, she's really losing a lot of weight. Her vision starts to blur. She has to go to the bathroom a lot. She's extremely tired and fatigued. And so she goes to a doctor and the doctor says, you have type 1 diabetes. And she says, no, I just need to exercise. I need to eat right. I need to get some sleep. What's going to happen to that lady eventually? If she genuinely has type 1 diabetes, she will die. But she's convinced in her mind, I have nothing wrong with me. I don't need to seek your remedy in your treatment. That's the case with most Christian churches today because they see that, yeah, mankind is sinful, but they can save themselves through religious works 
and doing right, sprinkling a little God talk on it. And that leads us to the next point, number three. How can sinners be forgiven and just before God? How can sinners be forgiven just before God? A survey. Some have a right understanding. Some Christian churches have a right understanding. Lost sinners can only be saved by repenting of their sin and trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's going to be that. And so there are Christian churches in our area that do believe the true gospel. And that's then where we do talk about what are some of those fundamental denominational, if you will, distinctives that uh, distinguish us from them. But this specifically, I'm looking at what is the gospel. But there are some others who call themselves Christians. And how can it be sinner be right before God? How can he gain forgiveness? They will say something along this line. I'll give you several different illustrations from churches in our area. You need to be first sprinkled with water because that washes away original sin. And then you need to continue faithfully in our church, taking of all the different sacraments because you're going to continue sin and those sacraments will forgive your sin. And you need to look to Christ and you need to do these works and then hopefully you've done enough so that you'll be saved. But even then, you might not have done enough. So after you die, you might have to go to purgatory for a bit to pay off the rest of your sin. Others will say, no one's going to be lost. Everyone's going to heaven. Salvation is really making the world a better place, bringing heaven on earth. This is the liberal Protestant version. The first was the Roman Catholic. What about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses? They will say, Jesus died for sinners. He did die for sinners. He is our Savior. But he didn't die as the God-man. He died as a man. What about the Church of Christ? Church of Christ says, you need to repent and you need to trust in Christ and you must also be baptized for salvation. I talked about this group last week. You listen to them speak, and it's, this is a great gospel message. And then they also say, and you must be baptized in order to be saved. And then we could throw in into a lump another group uh, that would consist of, are you ready? Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, probably most Amish, and even some Protestants, and possibly a Protestant sitting in this room right now who they will say something along this line. You need, to be, you need to trust in Christ, and you need to obey him, and you need to be baptized, and you also need to do good works in order to be saved. It's that last part that's the problem, isn't it? Look to Christ, and you gotta do good works in order to be saved. What is the scripture truth about salvation? The scripture truth about salvation is that God sent his only son to die for sinners. He sent his only son to die for sinners. And wrapped up in that is the fact that he is the eternal son, fully God, became a man at the virgin birth, lived a holy God, godly life, died as a substitute, rose from the dead. There's a lot of truth packed into that. Second, 
The righteous son stood in the place. He stood in the place of the unrighteous and took the punishment they deserved. The righteous son stood in the place of the unrighteous and took the punishment they deserved. I've given more words for this point because I want to make sure you are grasping what is gospel truth, but also this is amazing truth to meditate on. This is the salvation you have, Christian. The righteous son stood in your place and he took the punishment you deserved. Next, the beloved son stood in the place of sinners whom God was angry with and bore his wrath. Bore his wrath that they deserved. The word here, the long word is propitiation. 1 John 2, 2. We deserve God's wrath, but Jesus, he took our place. He, he bore God's wrath. The next one, the fourth bullet point. Sinners who grasp what Christ has done, they hate their sin and turn from it. That's repentance. And they trust in Christ. Sinners who grasp what Christ has done, hate their sin and turn from it, and trust in Christ are saved. Saved from sin's power and penalty. They are saved from sin's power and penalty. Fifth bullet point. Believing sinners' guilt. Their guilt is fully paid by Christ. His atoning death paid the debt of their sin so they are no longer guilty but forgiven. They have Christ's righteousness credited to their account so that they stand before a holy and righteous God in Christ's righteousness. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. Last bullet point here. Believing sinners' condemnation. Believing sinners' condemnation. This is the price of sin. What's the wages of sin? Death, eternal death. The condemnation is fully satisfied by Christ's death. They will never, never suffer for any other sin because Christ bore the full wrath of God for all their sin. If somebody's understanding of how sinners can be saved, how they can be forgiven, how they can be right with God. If that isn't according to scripture, they are still lost and guilty and condemned. And they are not Christian. They can call themselves that, but that doesn't make them what they are. Number four, can anyone know, can one know that he is saved? Can one know that he is saved? Again, a survey. Some Christian churches have a right understanding of this. You can know that you have eternal life. Biblical Protestants. Interestingly, every other Christian group, as soon as they add something to the true gospel or take away something from the true gospel, they have to have you doing something. And every other Christian group says, no, you can't know for certain. You can hope. You can hope things are lined up well enough but you cannot know with certainty. 
What is the scripture truth? Scripture truth, first bullet point. Christians can know, K-N-O-W. You can know that you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I want to just stop a second. There is a, uh, we need to understand the theological doctrinal difference between assurance of salvation. That's what this is talking about. Can I know? Can I be sure? There's a difference between assurance of salvation and eternal security. Because often they're confused or completely put together. And this is where you have problems with someone who says that they're Christian, but they live like the devil. How can they, they say that they didn't lose their salvation and you can't because it's eternal secure, but how does all this work out? From God's standpoint, he saves believers. He saves them completely and fully. He sees them as in Christ. And from God's standpoint, none can pluck them out of my hand, his omnipotent power. Their sins have been completely washed away. They're forgiven. They have Christ's righteousness. And he sees the the ledger books. He sees he owes me nothing. Jesus paid the debt. And he has a a full uh, line of credit, as it were. He has Christ's righteousness in, in in the credit line. From God's standpoint, true believers can never be lost. He who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. Is that our, do we have that knowledge? Do we have that experience? Well, what can affect your enjoyment of the truth of salvation? Sin, frankly, in one word. The longer you continue in sin, the more you stay immature in your faith, the more you're going to doubt. The more you will not have that, as it were, assurance. The difference between eternal security and assurance then. So how can you know? First, John was written to help you with that. And that's the rest of these points here. Genuine Christians persevere. Your second bullet point. Genuine Christians persevere in Christian truth. And for each one of these, these four points, you read these and you're going to see here uh, that this is in Dan Greenfield terminology, okay? If this is present in your life, you have eternal life. So in this case, if you continue believing in the Lord, you're faithful to him, you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you have eternal life. You've been born again. Second, genuine Christians obey Christ's commands. Genuine Christians obey Christ's commands. A couple of passages there talk about uh, living a righteous life or not loving the things of this world. For he who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Third, Genuine Christians love one another. Genuine Christians love one another. And again, is this perfect? Is this without fault or failure? No. Because we still have a sin nature, there's always going to be some impurity in that. 
but it's growing in your understanding. It's growing in your obedience. It's growing in your love. Number four, genuine Christians live righteous lives. Genuine Christians live righteous lives. They live righteous lives. And I'd encourage you to look at those passages. Maybe write these points down in 1 John so that you can help someone who says, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Walk them through the gospel. Show them Christ's commands. Are you obeying these? Do these characterize your life? Do you love being with other believers? Uh, What kind of life are are you living? Is it more righteous or unrighteous? These are the tests of someone if they're truly a Christian or not. Last number five, how many Gospels? How many Gospels? Well, the Roman Catholic Church has a Gospel. Liberal Protestantism has their Gospel, a different one. Many professed Protestants and their cousins, and I'll throw in their Anabaptists and Mennonites and Amish, uh, they'll say something else. And as the other Christian groups, they'll say different things. We're here in Ephesians. Let's back up a few pages to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, eternally condemned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. There is only one true gospel, the gospel of Christ found in the scriptures. Members of Oro Bible Church, consider the weight and the responsibility that you and I have here of having this gospel. The only gospel that saves. It is a weighty responsibility. It's a joy. But it is a responsibility that Christ has given us to give this gospel. I'd also have have you think about what this means for souls in these different churches who are relying on things other than Christ for their salvation. They think that they have a hope, but they do not. And that should pain us. We should weep. And we drive by and we see their houses and their places of worship. We shouldn't look with pride and disdain but with compassion, and we pray that they would be delivered from that. We must consider how Satan blinds and deceives minds and is a frightening thing. Folks, there is nothing, there is nothing else in this world that can do what the church 
does. Christ, God made this, made the church to be his body to give this good news to the lost. And he made the church to help Christians to grow in that, to obey, to love, to believe, to live godly lives. What about you? What is your understanding of God? Does it line up with Scripture? Your understanding of who you are. I'm not such a bad person, you might say. Yeah, I've done some bad things, but I'm not as bad as that person. The standard of judgment, of measurement, is not another human being. God made you in his image to glorify him and to live up to his level. And you'll fail every time. You have failed. What are you relying on to be right with this God, to have your sins forgiven, to have eternal life? You can only, your only hope is in Christ. He came and lived a perfect life. He died providing salvation from sin's forgiveness. He rose from the dead so that you could be right with him. But you must turn from that sin and you must look to Christ. Who are you depending on for eternal life? And how are you living your life? If you are truly saved, there will be works that show it. You are not saved by your works, but as James says, you're not truly saved if you're without those works. Let's pray.